The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. It's sex, loud, and your passion on CJAD 800. Welcome to the Friday edition. A couple things we're going to do. Uh, so I'm going to share with you after 10.15 uh, some of the latest stories uh, about sex. And one thing I want to focus on, saw a fantastic article. I shared it on my Facebook page as well. Truth about how porn affects us. And it goes through, uh, there's a, a link to a website that, uh, share, that has like all the research or the latest research on the effects of porn that I want to share with you. So I'm going to do that. We're also going to talk about what not to put in your vagina, but not for some reason. Uh, We'll talk about some of the myths and beliefs about the penis and much more. But first, let's take a look at the inbox. Make a connection anytime at 514-800. You can also email me anytime to laurie at drlaurie.com. Here's one. Is there a term for being more attracted to males most of the time, but a little attracted to females some of the time. So that would probably fit into the um, category, if we want, of bisexuality. Bisexuality is almost uh, like it's, it's confusing because you're thinking bi is both, when we think of both, we think of equally both, and that's just not the way it works. So there's a range of sexual orientation. There's a spectrum or a continuum is actually the better word. There's a continuum of uh, sexual orientation. And what the research, the re- more the recent research has found, is that most of us fall somewhere on that continuum with one end being uh, exclusively straight and on the other end being exclusively gay. But in between all of that, uh, like what, how do you determine orientation? So where you fall on that thing. So it, it's not just on who you have sex with. It's also on who you fall in love with, who you're attracted to, who you fall, uh, who you um, uh, fantasize about, or rather, which gender you fantasize about. There's also pansexuality, where it's uh, where it could be either gender or uh, a non-binary uh, person. So somebody who may be uh, trans, for example, or who doesn't identify with male or female, and somebody could be attracted to that to people like that as well. Uh, so it it really falls on a continuum. So you'd be like closer to the uh, straight category. Um, Well, it depends. I'm not sure if you're a male or a female. So uh, if you're a male and you're more attracted to males, but a little attracted to females, then you would be closer to the gay category, but not completely at the end of the spectrum. So I hope hope that's uh, clear. Uh, Should you communicate with someone after you have sex with them about what is next, like if you were just friends before. So I'm not sure, are you talking about defining the relationship? And this is a a big question I think that a lot of people have, especially younger people today, is like how do we define this? Because there's so many, um, 
I hear so many stories of uh, people on dating apps or, or they, they get together with people, they have sex, they, uh, but, but there's no, like, there's no definition. It's almost like sex happens before any other discussion ever happens. And, uh, and the level of intimacy, it's like, it's like taken away from, it's like removed from the sex act for many. Or when they do have sex, they feel a, a connection, they feel intimate, and then they get confused. So is this more? What is this? Do you, do you want to pursue this? Do you not want to pursue this? How do you feel about this? So when you're dating, I think it's really important, like if you have a profile, for example, that you are more clear about what it is that you're looking for. So if you're looking for a relationship, uh, then state that you're looking for a relationship. And if you have um, your own rule, like if you say to yourself, I don't, I'm not going to have sex with someone until I know like where this is going or until I know that uh, until we've had a few dates and we, it, it looks like it's going towards a relationship. Don't break your own rule and have sex on the first date. So think about that. Think about what it is that you're looking for, what it is that you want. It's harder to have that relationship once, once you've had sex. It's like, um, what are we, where are we? Like people are often very confused about when, how, and, and, and what to do. I like to be for me, the, the straight up honesty, ask the question, uh, and that's it. Not the, what are we like? Oh, we met today. We had sex today. Now you're my boyfriend or, or my girlfriend, but you may want to develop a little bit of time with the person, uh, to get to know them and get to know what it is they're actually, uh, looking for. But that's just my view. I don't know. Maybe you can add your two cents in there as well, which you can do anytime at 514-800. So, uh, I find this a very helpful, um, it's kind of like a community where people help other people and it's not just me helping, but your own experiences, your thoughts, our listeners really value that. I get, I do get emails about that a lot of people telling me how much they want me to say, ask the, the listeners what they think or what you think. So I think it's important if you have something to say, please, uh, please do contribute. Next question, can you only get an STI, so a sexually transmitted infection, through sexual activity? Basically, yes, it's through sexual activity. So if, if we talk about sexual activity, what we mean by that, it's not intercourse, but it's any action below the belt, any action in the genital areas that involves nudity. So if you are uh, uh, rubbing up against each other with your clothes on, genital to genital, no, there's no uh, risk of anything. But if you are naked and you're rubbing genitals or you're, you're in that area below the belt, then yes. So skin to skin, you have to think about this. It's not just the exchange of bodily fluids, although that's a, a big one for transmitting uh, sexually transmitted infections. Uh, but also you have to think about the transmission of herpes and the transmission of the human papilloma virus, which are, um, are transmitted skin to skin. The other part too, uh, if you have herpes on your mouth, so cold sore on your mouth, which is very common, more than I'd say 60% of the population has that virus in them. It's a, 
there are two different kinds of viruses, one genital, one oral. So that one is the most common. But if somebody has a cold sore and kisses your genitals, then you will have that virus on your genitals. So it's important not to uh, kiss somebody with a visible cold sore. Just sometimes you, you don't see it or the person isn't going to tell you that they feel a tingling and then their cold sore comes out like, you know, that night or, or the next day and then uh, you may have caught the virus. So that's how you uh, get to that. Uh, Texture writes in, no matter what I put on my profile, I get a lot of guys who try to meet for a hookup. Uh, I hear you, and this is why you have to have your boundaries, and you need to respect your own boundaries. Respect your own rules. If your rule is, I want to get to know somebody before I have sex with them, then do that. Get to know them and state your boundaries uh, very uh, clearly. All right, coming up, the truth about how porn affects us. We strip away the stigmas every night with passion on CJAD 800. By the way, even though we share news and stuff and anything goes tonight, you can send your questions about sex and relationships anytime throughout the show, and I will answer them. Uh, Let me talk about the truth about porn. Uh, My colleague, Justin Lee Miller, who I just adore, he uh, is a brilliant researcher, sex writer, etc., Uh, He wrote an article like this, and and what he he begins by saying, in the popular media, pornography has seemingly become the default source of blame for any and all sexual problems. Why are we in a sex recession? Porn. Why do we have such a big problem with sexual violence? Porn. Why are sexual difficulties like erectile dysfunction so common? Porn. Well, guess what? What? All of these claims, many of which are uh, are by uh, anti-porn advocacy organizations, are in fact uh, false, including um, where they keep warning you of porn's addictive potential, including where people say there is an epidemic, that this is so damaging. So sex researchers, real sex researchers, go out there and they... They're going out looking for, they're asking questions. They're not going in with a specific um, way to massage the the findings to fit what they believe. The, many of the research that I've come across here um, are, you know, they're peer-reviewed, they're done in a, in a very uh, unbiased way, etc. So I want to share with you, but I also want to direct you, if you are interested, because I know I get uh, emails from people saying, oh, give me the, uh, you know, where these studies come from, etc. So if you want the whole list, there's a very comprehensive list of uh, porn research, it's at dot. Uh, realyourbrainonporn.com, realyourbrainonporn.com, which is interesting because it's the counter uh, balance to yourbrainonporn.com, which is basically an anti-porn um, uh, website that uh, that are rooted more in ideology rather than uh, science, uh, and they, they really cherry-pick and, and distort the findings just to, to provide a, a one-sided story to this. But anyhow, let me share uh, some of the uh, some of the findings because I think it's really, really important. So there was one 
Um, and these are the most recent findings. There was one, uh, is porn use related to erectile functioning? So a lot of people talk about, oh, porn causes, uh, you know, erectile dysfunction. So they did this in a longitudinal study, meaning they followed over 400 people uh, over time. And what they found was no significant relationships between any pornography-related variables and trajectories of erectile dysfunction. So that was one. Another one in the Journal of Sexual Medicine is pornography use associated with sexual difficulties and dysfunctions among younger heterosexual men. This was a huge um, survey. So this is a survey, uh, uh, Croatia, Nor- uh, uh, Norway, and Portugal in of men. There was uh, close to 4,000 people who answered this survey, and they concluded this. We, they say, we found little evidence of the association between pornography use and male sexual health disturbances. Contrary to raising public concerns, pornography does not seem to be a significant risk factor for young men's desire, erectile, or orgasmic difficulties. So that's another one. Now they looked at, there's another one, a survey, 17,000 people. So that, these are big sizes. And, and these are published, again, in peer-reviewed um, journals, which, which is important. They're not just done just like that on the web and published in, you know, Marie Claire or whatever. Uh, so what they concluded is that for most people, watching porn does not replace or hinder sex with a partner. In fact, people who watch porn more often also have sex with a partner more often. Uh, porn viewing in the last six months was not related to sexual problems. So basically the conclusion of all of this is that there are no empirical studies. None of these people have found empirical studies to show that a link, there's a link between pornography consumption and sexual problems. This is not a direct link. There may be other things related to that and other things that may drive you to, uh, to masturbate and, and watch porn, but those are, there is not a direct link to causing the sexual problems. Then there were uh, many other studies that looked at attitudes toward women because these, uh, the anti-porn, a movement talk about how this is uh, making men ba- like they're misogynistic and making men hate women and, and all kinds of stuff like that. So there's a few things that were done. So there there was a big um, sample of men and they I- interviewed these men at an adult entertainment uh, exposition, like an expo. It was over a thousand men. So they looked at porn super fans. In other words, you know, those that would actually go to a, a porn expo and they found this that porn superfans are no more sexist or misogynistic than the general US public okay uh, and they and and they held more progressive gender role attitudes than the general public uh, basically on working mothers and traditional gender roles in the family so they say our results call into question some of the claims that porn consumption fosters de facto negative and hostile attitudes toward uh, women. Another uh, article was one entitled, Is porn, Pornography Really About Making Hate to Women? Pornography's, pornography users hold more gender egalitarian attitudes than non-users in a representative American sample. This is a huge sample, over 25,000 American 
men and women, and they found that users held more egalitarian attitudes towards women in positions of power, toward women working outside the home, and toward abortion than non-users of uh, pornography. And they also found that pornography users or non-users were no different in their attitudes towards the traditional family and in their self-identification as a feminist. So that flies in the face of a lot of stuff that is fed to us, right? Uh, then they did, uh, they, they talk a lot about uh, the effect on partners and, um, uh, and intimacy, love and intimacy. For example, uh, does exposure to erotica reduce attraction and love for romantic partners in men? Because that's been another claim. And here they looked at 830 people and they did not find support for the finding uh, that exposure someone else's finding that exposure to attractive images of opposite sex um, affects males ratings of their partners sexual attractiveness or love for their partners so for people who think that uh, th when their partners watch pornography that their partners are comparing them or that they actually wished that uh, their partners looked more like the porn stars or what have you that isn't the case they don't, they are not less, they do not find their partners less attractive or, or less attracted to their partners. So I think that's a, a really, really important one. There was another huge survey of over 20,000 people. And it, this one looked at addiction to pornography. And this is what they found, which is very consistent with all the research done on, for example, addiction. They found that 4% and 4% of men and 1% of women said that they were uh, addicted to pornography. Uh, and of those, only half reported that using pornography had had a bad effect on them. So uh, the, there's a very, very small minority of people who watch even a lot of porn who report adverse effects uh, of on their uh, sex lives or on their relationships. So, like, this is a lot of convincing evidence. Again, if you want to go into it deeper and, and delve into this, go to www.realyourbrainonporn.com or go to my Facebook page at uh, Dr. Lori Batito, my public a page and the article is posted there and you'll be able to uh, get so much more information but f I found it just absolutely fascinating uh, let's see <laughs> this is a an animal study primates with smaller genitalia compensate by being flashy and aggressive now do with this what you will in terms of transferring the information to uh, the uh, the human race but male primates with smaller genitalia tend to compete for mates through violence or badges of status in other words these badges of status they're flashy physical traits. Think, you know, <laughs> flashy car, small penis. Like, we make those jokes, don't we? Uh, just like socially we make those jokes. Those who feel they have to flaunt a lot of stuff, we say, oh, he must have a small penis uh, because they have to flaunt so much. Well, anyway, in the primate world, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> there are other things, uh, whether it's red patches, red chest patches, or a really big snout or, or nose or, or whatever. So it's found in, in, the, in the primate world, 
which um, is very interesting because there is a parallel to some degree. I'm not sure how much I'll make the parallel, but there is a parallel. Uh, Coming up, we're going to play Dirty Minds, your chance to win a one-month unlimited pass to 360 Punch, a brand new uh, exercise, uh, kind of a boutique gym on the West Island. That's where you can find me every single morning with my boxing gloves on. Uh, So we're giving that away. We'll play Dirty Minds, and we'll talk about what women are putting in their vaginas Not a good idea. We'll talk about that after we check in with our CJD 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. This is Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. All right, before I tell you what not to put in your vagina, let's play Dirty Minds. This is where I give you three dirty clues or they sound dirty anyway, but they really aren't. And the answer is not dirty. Uh, The first caller through with the right answer at 514-790-0800 will win a one-month unlimited pass to work out at 360 Punch. If you want a really great, short, but intensive workout that includes uh, boxing and um, uh, Muay Thai, uh, all kinds of martial arts and training by uh, being trained by MMA fighters. It's awesome. Awesome. Uh, I love it anyhow. So that's what we're uh, giving away. Here are your clues. You stick your finger in my hole. If your joints too big, you can't get it in me. After you're married, I'll sit on your finger. What am I? I made it easy. Uh, so five, one, four, seven, nine, zero, 0800 to call in and uh, take your guess. Uh, All right, before I get to what not to put in your vaginas, I want to answer a couple questions here. Um, This one is uh, a response to uh, the addiction to pornography. We're talking about the effects of porn. Uh, People who are addicted probably have addictive personalities, and you would be right. People do have. uh, That's why it's not that... It's not the porn itself that causes the addiction or the compulsive nature of it. There are underlying issues. So whether it's a way to deal with, uh, with anxiety or trauma or it's like a drug of choice basically, but what drug addicts too, is it the drugs that cause the addiction? No, no. So very similar. Uh, then getting back to uh, dating, this person has a question. And I, like I said to you, you can uh, call in or text in your any questions you have about sex, love, relationships throughout the show, and I'm happy to answer them tonight as well. Uh, after how many dates should a woman have sex? I'm, I'm throwing this out to our listeners. So you're dating and you're wondering after how many dates should you have sex? After a month and a half of dating, the guy seems to get impatient. Uh, I, it, it Again, it depends what everybody is uh, looking for. So let's say you decide that you wait until you get to know a person. And in your head, uh, you'd have to see them X number of times over this many weeks or whatever. And this is your rule. If they don't like your rule for yourself and your boundaries... Uh, then uh, they're not for you. That's uh, you use that to to weed them out if if necessary. 
So I'd love to hear from other people. How many dates should a woman have sex? And from the men, what do you expect when you date? Do you expect that you want to have, that, that the woman will have sex with you right away? First date, second date? And if someone wants to wait, what is your reaction to that? My guess is if the person is interested in you, Uh, and not just the sex, they will wait or they will be patient. As long as there's, you know, maybe other things like you, you get, you find out if there's chemistry, like through kissing, for example. Uh, Another text writes, I also keep hearing that free dating sites are the worst because they are free, therefore more accessible. And if you use the ones where you pay, you get better quality. Is this true? I've heard the same, by the way, um, this could be true of things like uh, eHarmony or um, those kinds of sites where people tend to be uh, more serious because they're paying. So that is a possibility. Uh, I would I would say yes to that. So we have a winner. Let me say the uh, the the clues again. You stick your finger in my hole. If your joint's too big, you can't get it in me. After you're married, I'll sit on your finger. If you guessed ring, you would be absolutely right. And Donna in DDO is our winner. Congratulations, uh, Donna. All right. I need to, a couple of answers to that question. How long do you wait? I need to wait about 12 dates in my book of rules. Okay, good. Uh, and then another texter says as many or as few as you are comfortable with, I expect kissing from date three onwards. So kissing is a, a good, uh, a good test of, uh, chemistry. If that's what you're looking for, uh, you don't need to have full on sex to know if the, if you're compatible really. So the chemistry could be certainly felt in that way. All right. Would you ever, ever consider putting food things in your vagina? Really? I mean, I'm not talking about cucumbers used as sex toys. I'm talking about like cures, natural. You can't see me do this, but I'm using quotation marks here. Uh, Cures, things that people crazily enough put in their vaginas and really like so much so that people have to write about this. Like a gynecologist actually did a blog says, here are things not to put in your uh, vagina. People are putting things like Vicks VapoRub, makeup sponges and wasp larvae and garlic and parsley. Like these are actual beliefs that Like people think these are cures for yeast infections and for whatever else. So there was a gynecologist who uh, talked about the garlic because people are using garlic as a cure for vaginal yeast infection, but has, and it's been going around the internet. And I don't think Gwyneth Paltrow is responsible for this one. She is for other stuff, but not this one. Uh, And it, it, there's no scientific uh, basis for it. In fact, she, she states in some circles, garlic is revered for its detoxifying qualities. Yeah. When you eat it, uh, for those that subscribe to garlic's medicinal use, they believe it can be used to treat yeast infections by inserting it into the vagina. By the way, this is on the Monistat website. 
Monistat is the uh, yeast infection uh, uh, medication company. Uh, in reality, they say inserting any foreign object in the vagina may cause further complications or even worsen an infection. There is no scientific proof that garlic can cure yeast infection, so don't put yourself at risk. Uh, then there's uh, there was a, there's three articles uh, that were picked up this week, okay? So g- using garlic as a cure for yeast infection... Marie Claire posted an article, and then there's a dispute about this, but just to, to, to let you know, this came through my newsfeed, that women are using uh, or putting parsley in their vaginas to kickstart their periods. On their site or on the, the article, it said parsley can help to soften the cervix and level out hormonal imbalances that could be delaying your cycle. Well, of course, that article prompted several gynecologists to respond with like, no, do not put parsley in there. And then they deleted the article, calling it misguided. Uh, yeah, very misguided. These are things that should not go in your vagina. Vegetables are there at the top of the list. They do not belong there. Then there's another group of people. And I mean this, this is real. There's putting wasp's nest, ground up wasp's nest in their vaginas. This was in the Daily Mail. They shared this just a couple of days ago, um, that it's being used as a douche to, or like some kind of a douche, uh, something to heal scars, uh, etc. like after uh, giving birth and, and all of that. But again, this is big rumors, big no-no, uh-uh. You don't want to do this. Coming up, eight myths and beliefs about the penis. This was a, a wonderful blog. A bunch of sex experts got together and did this. So eight myths and beliefs about the penis, some of which will surprise you, some of which you know. I'll share that with you. But Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJAD 800. Here's a fun text. As a person that enjoys eating vagina, I am intrigued by the prospect of using the vagina as a food vessel. Yeah, it may be eco-friendly. It's just not vagina-friendly, unfortunately. Uh, Here's the eight myths and beliefs about the penis. So we go from what not to put in your vagina to to the penis. Uh, Do you think that shoe size really does suggest something about a guy's uh, package size? Uh, I'll give you the answer to that. So first belief that you can break your penis. The truth is, yes, you can uh, fracture your penis. It's not a bone that you break. Uh, It's very rare, uh, but you can fracture it. For any guy who's experienced it, they will tell you what they heard is a loud popping sound or a crackling noise and then excruciating pain. Uh, which sends you really right to the ER and you should go swelling, severe bruising. It is the tearing of blood vessels or the severing of the urethra. Very important to repair. So requires surgery to repair the damage in most cases. Um, But the long-term complications can include scarring, a bent penis, erectile dysfunction, even difficulty with urination or with orgasms. So Beware of rigorous uh, thrusting. The most common 
positions where this can happen in is woman on top followed by doggy style. So just uh, proceed with caution. How about that? Uh, this is the belief. Uh, here it is. There are growers and then there are showers. This is very true. So a shower is someone who looks large um, at, all the time. And when uh, there's an erection, the penis actually doesn't significantly lengthen that much. But for a grower, there is quite a difference in penis length when uh, erect and not erect. So um, the it's four out of five men are growers and one out of five men are showers. So just remember that. And remember too that erections are the great equalizer of the penis because a smaller flaccid penis tends to grow more in length when erect than larger flaccid penises. So just remember it's nature's way of bringing a little bit of equality to penis size. Another belief, and I get questions about this, is a curved penis is not normal, that a penis should be totally straight. First of all, penises come in all sorts of shapes, by the way, and, and sizes. So a curved penis, very normal, no big deal. Some people, and we've had this on the show, where people called it or texted in and said their curved penis brings more pleasure to their partner uh, and that it's actually uh, very good for especially you know, hitting certain spots, et cetera, et cetera. There, when there's an extreme curve, well, that's problematic, but that's a disease. That's known as Peyronie's disease. So uh, you will know if there's a, if there's a significant curve that uh, is painful, that uh, pre- prevents you from having intercourse, for example, uh, then you know that there's a problem. What about the one about a man's shoe size can tell you a lot about the size of his penis? Well, no. There was a a good study done uh, in 2002 published in the British Journal of Urology and they found uh, no association between penile length and shoe size. So no scientific base on that. Another belief that men feel so much less during sex when wearing a condom. In part, yes. Not so much less, but it does reduce sensation for guys because it's an extra layer of, you know, latex there, right? Uh, But there are ways to make sex with condoms more pleasurable. The fit, get a condom that fits. If it's, um, if the fit is not, uh, you have to make sure that it's not too tight. So if it's too tight, then uh, there could be a problem. So you want the right fit. You also want to use lubricant. You can even put a little drop of lubricant inside the, uh, the, the reservoir tip of the penis adds a little bit more uh, friction, for example. So uh, there's that. Uh, another belief that daily ejaculation hurts your sperm count. Uh, again, uh, this sort of true. Uh, so masturbating, 
or daily sex with a partner does lower your sperm count, but that's only temporary. It's just temporary. It doesn't uh, slow down your production of, per, of of sperm. It just so it, it clears the shelves of stock and then it waits to be restocked. In, in other words, um, if you're trying to conceive with a partner, uh, there are studies that show that actually um, frequent masturbate or frequent ejaculation um, in improves the quality of the sperm, even though the sperm count is less. So there is something to that. Uh, the, another belief about penises, blue balls happen when a man endures prolonged periods of sexual arousal without an orgasm and that it is very painful. So blue balls is definitely a thing, but generally speaking, it is not very painful, maybe a little bit uncomfortable, but not very painful. So what the a urologist says, here's the deal with blue balls. Ejaculation, like a sneeze, is a reflex. There are wind-up and release phases to both. Emission is when you rear your head back and shut your eyes, and sneezing is the actual ejaculation. So think of it that way. Uh, it's during emission when sperm are being pumped from the scrotum through the vas deferens and into the prostate. And since the semen gets loaded up during the act, if it is not released, then you might get a blue balls sensation, but it is simply a little bit bothersome. Nobody has ever died from that. Just want to say. And finally, this belief, which we've addressed on this show before from questions, circumcision reduces sexual pleasure. The answer to this one is unfortunately not, excuse the pun, clear cut. So there was a study done in 2013 that found that circumcised men reported slightly less sexual sensitivity than those who were uncut, except that they didn't measure, like it's hard to, to measure this if you don't measure before and after a circumcision, like the sensitivity changed before and after. So the jury is still out. However, this urologist says, in my practice of adult circumcision, no man has claimed reduced sexual pleasure after the procedure, and in fact, many have noted increased penile sensitivity due to the constantly exposed penis rubbing against clothing and whatnot. So there you have it. Lots of facts tonight about porn, about the vagina, and about the penis. Many things you're going to be able to talk about at your parties this weekend. Have fun with it. Uh, thank you so much for uh, spending your time with me. Thanks to our technical producer, Dave Simon. Thank you to our passion researcher, Linda DeLisi. If you want to connect with me on social media, you can do that at Dr. Lori Batito. That's D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E-B-E-T-I-T-O. Or you can go to my website, drlori.com. Through there, you can send me emails as well. So questions about your love life, your sex life, things you want to know. And I will make sure to answer your questions at the beginning of uh, every show. So do, do send them in. Coming up next here on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening, a fabulous weekend, and remember to live your life with passion. You